Hello and welcome to It's Lit, where all things literary live at the root. I'm Maisha Kai, managing editor of The Glow Up, and today we're chatting with artist, author, and self-proclaimed nerd, Adrian Loving. Adrian is a contemporary art and music historian, visual artist, DJ, and entrepreneur. He has curated exhibitions at various museums and cultural institutions, including the Smithsonian's National Museum of African Art and the National Portrait Gallery. And he's also performed at events like the White House Correspondence Dinner. Now, Adrian has a new book and video project called Fade to Gray, which is a deep dive into gender identity, music, art, and fashion in the late 70s through the 80s. And I have to say, as a Gen Xer and child of the 80s myself, I thoroughly enjoyed going through this book, and I believe I will enjoy revisiting it for years to come. It discusses Prince, Grace Jones, David Bowie, Annie Lennox, all of these iconic artists of the period, as well as taking dives into a bevy of underground talents and really gives them all a new shine and perspective that we haven't really seen before. It was a pleasure talking with Adrian and getting to revisit the music of our childhoods. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Adrian Loving. Adrian, welcome to It's Lit. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I am thrilled to have you. Um, we have a lot of friends in common, so I'm excited to talk about that and talk about Fade to Gray, Androgyny Style and Art in 80s Dance Music. This is... um. And well, this is, it's, it's a, it's a compendium. So we're going to, we're going to get into that. But before we begin, we have a ritual here at It's Lit. We like to ask everyone who visits us to tell us a book or books that really influence them. You know, this is a podcast about black books, black writers, black thinkers. And so we'd like to know, was there a book or books that blew your mind that just absolutely got you to where you are now? Wow, there's so many. Um, well, I could mention one in particular. Uh, that's by a Black writer. His name is Adelifu Nama. And he wrote a book called Black Space, uh, mm. Imagining Race in Science Fiction Film. This one here. Okay. Now, okay. I'm a huge nerd. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> books like this are interesting to me because they they often you know create these ideas around um, subjects that I love, but help me to think about them in different ways. And so that was one in particular. Um, before that, uh, another book called Close Encounters: Film Fem- Feminism in Science Fiction, which was this one, was uh, by Constance Penley, Elizabeth Lyon, Lynn Spiegel, and Janet Bergstrom, all amazing women scholars. And this also talks about the role of feminism in science fiction. Um, well, yeah, I love that you you pointed those two out because <laughs> they both seem to dovetail really well with this book. I'm sorry, I cut you off because I couldn't help but be like, oh my gosh, I get it now. Because I'm I'm really excited to talk to you about Fade to Grey. This, is, this was like a, like, I mean, first of all, I should just start this off by saying, so I am a Gen Xer. Gen Xers have been trending lately. I am a Gen Xer. And so when you hand me a book that, a says 80s dance music on the cover, which was the era of my childhood. <laughs> my, my, my Gen X heart goes pitter pat. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this book, you know, for, for those who are unfamiliar with it, for our listeners is, um, I mean, it's really this, it's really kind of an anthology here, correct? Of, of yes. essays and, 
and think pieces and pictures and, you know, kind of musings and, and really a deep exploration of this intersection of so many things that happened during this one decade surrounding dance culture, correct? Would that be a, a good way that's, to sum it that's up? That's absolutely right. <laughs> okay. All right. Great. And, you know, it, it's, it's coming at a time, um, First of all, I think it's coming at a time that we're, we're all being really reflective. Um, but I couldn't help but notice it's coming at a time, you know, there's been a few people that we've interviewed here on the podcast that have been kind of meditating on Black performance in particular. And while this book doesn't strictly focus on Black performance, it's definitely more about the era, race is written really strong through here. So, you know, just to start things off, like, how did this begin for you? Like, how did this project, this concept, this massive undertaking begin for you? Well, I'll go back to my nerd musings in visual art. <laughs> uh, I studied uh, graphic design and I later started working in video art. And some of the work I was doing early in the early 2000s was really sort of toying with uh, analog textures like VHS, beta, uh, you know, glitchy kind of artwork. And I was invited to do an art exhibition at this gallery in DC. And so, you know, I, I didn't want to do that again. I wanted to do something different. And so I looked at all these records that I had and they're pretty amazing. And I, I noticed that I had quite a few records that were centered in the eighties that fo focused on beautiful covers and interesting covers, such as, you know, this sort of androgynous style, mm -hmm. um, Prince, David Bowie, Grace Jones, Boy George, Culture Club, Annie Lennox. Uh, all these people, you know, they're, they're regular DJ records in my rotation, but I didn't, I hadn't yet stopped to think about, is there a similarity between these records or, you know, it was just good music. And so um, I started, you know, I was, thought, I was thinking, wow, this would be a good cultural study, a, a good anthropological study, a good creative study to, to look at uh, these artists as subjects. And so um, I went about the task of using the artist to be a uh, source material for an exhibition. And then from the development of the exhibition, um, it was suggested that I do a book because the, the discussions around the artists are far more interesting and you know uh, could have greater reach. So I started doing research on these characters and um, I, I, I figured that the topic of androgyny was sort of, you know, you know, Bowie was still alive, Prince was still alive. So many people were still alive when I started this research. And um, I got I got all this, you know, great material. Um, and then I just started writing. And there were some people who I felt could write better pieces. And I wanted to have a collection of voices. So I commissioned pieces to different uh, different writers. Yeah, you've got some veteran journalists in here, some, you know, some well-known names, you know, um, Michael Gonzalez, who's a mutual friend of ours, uh, Miles Marshall Lewis, is another voice that a lot of people will recognize here. But a lot of this is you, and I can't imagine, like, how much work you had to put into this, this research. How did, how did the narrowing down process go in terms of, I mean, you know, that list of names that you just ran off, you know, like that, I was really sitting there like, yes, 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 yes. You know, those are all like a lot of my favorite artists that I grew up on. Blondies in here. You even have like Motley Crue and, you know, people like that in here. And I should, you know, tell you, you know, I'm, I'm originally, our regular listeners know this because I probably say it every other episode, but I'm from Minneapolis. So the Prince, you know, you, you kind of open with Prince and it's, it just, you know, you had me right there. And I think you'll have a lot of people right there because, you know, who doesn't love Prince? If you don't love Prince, I don't believe in you as as an entity. But, uh, right. 
But um, how did you kind of make this selection? And then, you know, I want to get into organization of how this how this information is organized. But how did you kind of narrow down these artists? I mean, you, the, the names you said were really big, but you also have a lot of obscure artists here. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a crate digger. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I want to provide and, and dig into areas that are not the sort of superficial 80s, you know, skimming off the top. You know, you think about Rubik's Cubes and Reagan and MTV and all these things, but I wanted to go deep. So Mm -hmm. I I would be doing myself a disservice as a researcher and my contemporaries if I didn't like try to dig up things that had not been talked about or people who didn't get the shine. So uh, I, I had a I had a I had a bunch of ideas that I was playing around with and I sort of like, you know, vision boarded it out. I was like, okay, let's talk about this. Let's talk about that. Here, here's some things that I want to cover. And I vetted these ideas through conversations with friends. You know, sometimes I would say, Hey, what do you think about this? Or, you know, what, why do women find Prince attractive? (laughs) You know, um, you know, let's talk about this era in club culture. So a lot of these things came from conversations that eventually formed, you know, a thesis statement. And then within that thesis statement, I tried to drill down the intersections of gender, race, art, music that were particularly influential during this time period. Like, why was the 80s an important time period? What what made that decade special? And how were these artists able to sort of uh, utilize all these things to get a message out and be successful? Well, I mean, I know why the 80s was special to me, but why why was it special to you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, it's a that was a coming of age time. I mean, that was yeah. you know, I was born in the seventies, so yeah, me 80s, too. Yeah, eighties was the time I was I was like a kid. And, yeah, me too. Know, yeah, awakening myself to uh, all this fresh, new, exciting music. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's when you first kind of get your little job, and you could get you have money to buy records and go see movies, and um, you have a little bit of disposable income that you decide to spend on the exciting things in life music or you get columbia house records you just or you get columbia house records. <laughs> Wait, cds were not out yet because singles were out and uh tapes and vinyl yes you know? or when we would take the tape recorder and we put it in front of the radio and try to <laughs> exactly <laughs> Am I, the... I know i'm not the only one who did that <laughs> oh no i made mixtapes from the quiet storm and Slow that's Jam. right um, so a lot of the, a lot of this book is uh, a, a really sort of a pouring out and a love letter to this yeah. time period that I grew up in. And it's also a sort of revisionist look at the period, you know, like looking at it through adult eyes versus through kid eyes. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I try not to gloat about it because, you know, as a Gen Xer, I feel like, you know, we're supposed to be like really apathetic and just kind of like whatever. But speaking of intersectionality, we really did sit at this 
really amazing juncture of music, you know, mm-hmm. that intersection of our parents kind of, you know, if, especially if you were Black, your parents kind of Motown era and, you know, then funk and disco and being the MTV generation, because we are that, right? You know, <laughs> so we remember when video killed the radio star and now, you know, reality TV has killed MTV. So you've got that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Hip hop, you know, grunge, heavy metal, all these things to your point that intersect here. But also, I think we're a generation that really got to see and are still seeing, obviously, kind of a new sexual awakening. Like, you know, obviously there was a sexual revolution of our parents' generation, but it in large part still very much existed on this, you know, kind of gender binary, these, these very finite terms of what that meant. It was like free love, but not really like free, free. <laughs> but, and, you know, we are also the generation who lived through the AIDS crisis as children, the HIV AIDS crisis. And it's very hard to have a conversation about the 80s without having that conversation as well, right? But insofar as you talk about androgyny here, we are now finding ourselves in an era I find really refreshing, which is people kind of playing with gender, dismissing gender, doing what they want with gender. How do you feel that this work that you've done here dovetails with that kind of current conversation? Well, I think that what these artists stood for and how they at the end of the day, still tried to have a good quality product and express themselves uh, individually. I don't, a lot of these are, I mean, you know, you had your sort of facsimile artists that kind of came and, you know, jumped on the trends that were happening, but there was something about the the freedom of artists, especially Black artists, that yeah. didn't get this freedom in the Motown era, you know, didn't yeah. get this freedom in the 60s. Um, you know, so when you talk about a Prince or a Rick James or, uh, you know, these really sort of independent, musicians musicians they uh you know rick was a super freak he was like i'm gonna be a freak and uh, (laughs) that's part of what i do i'm gonna wear whatever you know grace jones was like oh this is me you know um they 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 really uh were they were brave they were bold they were beautiful and they uh unapologetic in a sense they they were like this is the music that i'm making um this music I think you can see the seeds of artists, contemporary artists today that have borrowed or taken note of some of these artists. And you can kind of see it like you wouldn't have a Lady Gaga or a Rihanna right. or, a, 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 you know, a Janelle Monet or a Billie Eilish or any of these people without. Or certain, even a little Nas X. <laughs> a little Nas X. Yeah, yeah. Without tracing back these things. I mean, these trap artists that are painting their nails and doing all this stuff. You know, there was a price to be paid in the 80s for being different. Like you could be beat up, you could be killed, you know, you know, it wasn't, it it came with a price. No, absolutely. I mean, for some reason, of course, the person who came to my mind most vividly was Sylvester, because, you know, again, you also made this comment about the quality of product. And there is always that thing in music, especially since music has become more visual over the years of the sacrifice of like the quality of product for the imagery or the gimmick or what have you. And, you know, Sylvester was an artist who was both unapologetically himself, but also just a really tremendous vocalist, right? A really tremendous musician. And I think embodies a lot of like, you know, the era and what was going on in the era and how a lot of the price that was paid by that era. But as I was mentioning earlier, I also think that, that I, I, you know, I'm, I'm very interested uh, always when we have these conversations, you know, because I get to talk to so many of you amazing writers and thinkers that I, I'm always interested in the timing of things, like the, the kind of kismet of when you kind of release a book. And, 
this has been a year in which, you know, um, coming out of this racial reckoning, so-called racial reckoning, <laughs> um, several books dropped that I was really excited about because they were they were both talking about race, but not talking about race in these very um, creative terms. You know, like I'm thinking like Hanif Abdurraqib's Little Devil in America, you know, talking about the history of Black performance. And, you know, some of them are fictional. You know, you have a lot of what you're alluding to here in a fictional context with like Donnie Walton's Opal and Nev. And, but at the same time, you have something like Kimberly Drew and Jenna Wortham putting out Black Futures, which is another side of this. Um, how do you hope that people will interact with this book? I want the book to be used as a tool. And I want teachers and students and people who are uh, collectors or music enthusiasts to, uh, to, to read it first. I mean, there's some good reads in there. I mean, it's a lot of great pictures in the surface level of the book. Level one is like, go through and look at all the pretty pictures. But level <laughs> two is really read the fine print. You know, there's some story, yeah. there's some moments in there that are uh, really very, I believe, pretty well researched and um, hint at things that we aren't discussing. For example, one of one of my favorite pieces that I wrote was about Andy Warhol and Black musicians. Because, you know, in the mainstream, Andy Warhol is known for his relationships with Grace Jones and Jean-Michel Basquiat and a couple of people, right? But the legacy that is untold largely is the, the people that he worked with and photographed, you know, your Andre Leon Talley's, your Pele, Muhammad Ali, Stevie Wonder, Prince, all like hundreds of people that he worked with. And even his uh, Ladies and Gentlemen series, which was Black and Latino transgender uh, people. You know, this was one of his first shows that exhibited his new style of screen printing. So I want people to sort of, be challenged to look at things again and and consider stepping away from the conventional narrative and thinking about um you know how can we retell the story how can we rethink about artists versus what is always sort of sold to us you know um so i think that those are themes that run throughout the book and and also writing from different viewpoints like mm -hmm. i didn't go to journalism school like i studied art but i learned about you know first person and reportage and you know more journal you know journalistic styles that tell it from different viewpoints you know and so I, I wanted to have a variety of sort of outlooks and in, in, in perspectives in this well I think you do and I think like one of the things that I found striking and I, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and say I've read this cover to cover yet because there's so much there and I am a former musician myself so I do really like to dig in <laughs> but um one of the things I do think is really interesting is that there is this kind of um this narrative arc, <laughs> if you will, like, and, and this, this kind of, I don't, I, I don't even know how to describe this, this, um, something that I think we have lost in terms of the way that we report about music, if I'm, if that makes any sense, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The kind of more like thoughtful deep dives. I mean, they still exist, but they, they're not as common as they used to be. What are your plans for the book? I, I, you know, you are an artist, so I, I assume that the journey is not stopping here with Fade to Grey. What, what's, what's next with this project or I guess the evolution of this material? Well, thanks. That's a big question too. Uh, <laughs> the, the big vision for this is, you know, you know, coming out of COVID, I'm trying to sort of restart the engine again and, and yeah. really get some book talks out there, participate in some conferences, you know, speak on panels, uh, really get 
exposure to educational uh, groups, you know, scholars, academics, uh, music people. I, I want to sort of hit different markets. And I'm also very much interested in making it into a series. Like I could see it being like a Netflix series where we, we, we parse out parts of the book and then create like a four-part series that just dives into androgyny in, in 80s music, you know, or something like that. And you, I want people to use it as a research and reference tool, you know, like, oh, that book, Fade to Grey, has these things in it. So that's one of the goals. Um, and also, I'm working on the second book. Uh, I've got material that wasn't even in the first book that is being sort of put together and thought through right now. So uh, I, there will be a Fade to Grey part two. And it's funny that you talked about uh, this sort of racial reckoning, um, you know, with all the things that are sort of like floating around and even some really cool documentaries. Um, you know, a month or so ago, I, I saw um, Raul Peck's Exterminate All the Brutes. And, you know, Peck, as you know, did uh, James Baldwin's I Am Not Your Negro. He's a fantastic, brilliant director, writer. And, you know, it made me think about storytelling and really going deep you know, and really pulling, you know, you know, pulling, pulling out all the stops. And, and it just made me think like, what am I talking about in my work? You know, am I going deep enough? Am I, am I really pulling at some things? And so the transition from book one to book two will be some more hardcore discussion pieces, you know, things that are going to really make you think. You know, but I'm, I'm mining this beautiful period of the 80s. Like if you can study Harlem Renaissance and you can study like, you know, all these times, you can study the 80s as a decade. And so I want to go back in here and really look at things that we just accepted and, and felt like, you know, just kind of, you know, we didn't know certain things back then. But now it's like I really want to sort of like relook at things that we just sort of accepted, you know, without any questioning and, and really talk about it. So that's what the part two is going to be. Well, I I appreciate that you're doing that for the 80s because I think that we often get written off, you know, especially those of us who grew up in that era as like this like superficial generation when really it was, I kind of think it was anything but. There was so much going on during that era and not a lot of time to catch a breath. But this book also, you know, I, leaves me breathless. It's a really, I really cannot commend you enough for what you've done here. I think it's a really fantastic to look at. It's going to have a place of honor on my coffee table, and I hope our listeners will check it out, please. But thank you so much for coming and talking with us today about Fade to Grey. I can't wait to see what comes next. I totally agree with you. I want to see it as a series. I think this would be brilliant as a series. So cheering you on for that. So thank you, Adrian. Thank you so much. <laughs> Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The Root Presents It's Lit is produced by myself, Maisha Kai, and Michaela Heck. Our sound engineer is Ryan Allen. Our theme song was penned by yours truly and producer Scott Jacoby. 
If you like the show and want to help us out, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps us out, and we appreciate your feedback so much. Now, if you have any thoughts or feedback, you can find me on Twitter at Maisha, that's M-A-I-Y-S-H-A, and at Maisha Kai on Instagram. And before we go, we always like to talk a little bit about what we're currently reading. And admittedly, I haven't really been reading much lately because I've been packing all my books. And I have a lot of books, like too many books. You know what it's like to have too many books? I know Marie Kondo says get rid of your books, but I can't because I love books more than anything. So my books and I will meet you on the other side. (laughs) But until then, that's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. And we will see you next week. You know what to do until then. Keep it lit.